Welcome to the She's Illuminated podcast with me, Ellie Loves. I'm a breathwork healer and advocate for women, not just finding their voice, but using it. Through the breath, I help people get unstuck and get energized to heal the most important relationship you have with yourself. Sometimes all it takes is a conversation or an idea to light the touch paper and begin the process. This podcast is an invitation to get curious, inspired, and become the most authentic, fearless, expressed version of you. So come on, let's get illuminated. So welcome to episode three, Your Story Matters, with guest Betsy B. Murphy. Betsy is a writer, performer, veteran filmmaker, and guide, empowering women to use their voices and tell their story. She talks about releasing her first book, Autobiography of an Orgasm, and how getting nakedly honest about her sensual path was the ultimate healing. We talk about embodiment, feeling pleasure in the body, and how expressing yourself doesn't just feel good, it's better for your health. Following her heart has led her to travel the world, holding writing retreats in Zimbabwe, South Africa, Bali, France, and London. And she's just finished writing her seventh book, Chasing Temples. Enjoy. Welcome, Betsy. I'm so excited to talk to you. I know, Ellie. Hi. So Thank happy to be here. Thank you. So, Betsy, um, I'm going to try and introduce you, but I suspect that all of the things that I will, um, all the words that I will use probably don't cover a, a fraction of it, but you are a storyteller, a writer, a publisher, a veteran filmmaker, a mother, and a go-go. Now, tell me what go-go means. Gogo is uh, the word for grandmother in Shona, which is the indigenous language of Zimbabwe. And in, um, I've been to Zimbabwe 28 times. I do a retreat there every year. It's called a service and safari retreat. And, um, and I remember the elder women uh, there, uh, the grandmothers are really the, the storytellers, the caregivers, the mothers, and so respected, different from... You know, my grandmother was, you know, respected. I grew up in this world where you respect them, but they weren't the ones you went to for um, advice, for healing. Uh, and I just love that the Go-Go's there are so respected. And so when I became a grandmother three years ago, this is your most important thing when you become a grandmother is what name do you want your grandchildren to call you? Yes. And so I became a Go-Go. I love that. And don't we all wish that we had that, that relationship with a grandparent, a grandmother? Yes. You know, not the yeah. ones that you just go for in your Sunday best and keep it all nice. Yeah, and it's interesting right now. My my mother is eighty seven, and and she's a grandmother. Uh, oh gosh, I, uh, many times over, and a great grandmother. I think uh, fifteen. I think, yeah. and um, and it's she's also in this writing circle that I'm doing right now, and uh, and so we will, you know, I'll do writing prompts with. Uh, group of women online or in, in a workshop and you know they'll I'll give them a, a writing prompt and they'll write for 10 or 15 minutes and this week um, I'm learning so much about my mom that I've never known through these writing prompts and this is why I love one of the prompts was um, uh, tell about something your mother used to say to you and when my mom spoke she said you know what I never had intimate conversations with my mom the you know what she told me was to you know, uh, wash my hands if I touch a doorknob or don't open doors with a bare hand, you know, practical life advice and not those intimate conversations. And including in this writing circle, I did a one week, the theme was um, uh, the sensual storyteller. And so the writing prompts, um, you know, the themes were around 
uh, sex or, or sensuality. But just because that's the prompt doesn't mean you have to write about that. Mm. And my mom did whatever she could to avoid writing about when I, the, the prompt was tell about the first time. And my mom told about her first time water skiing. But there were so many undertones of, of, of sex and what you do or don't know. Um, and I love that I've raised a daughter, Lucy, who's 28 now, and she comes to me, we talk about everything, and, uh, and we should be having these most intimate conversations with our mother. Mm. Uh, so uh, as a go-go, I hope that I can really redefine my relationship that I didn't have with my grandmother um, with my own grandchildren. Mm, yeah. Thank you. And um, I guess it's probably it's probably timely to circle back a little bit and talk about where we met. So Betsy and I met last. Oh, how many years ago was it now? Did you? Did you three? three. Yeah, I think so. Um, so my friend Sonia had been organizing called the, something called the Holistic Garden Party for um, a few years on a little level and doing it locally and doing the most incredible work and had been, I think, feeling that she wanted to do it, but was like, you know, it's a lot. And I sort of said to her, look, I'll come and help you. And little did I know, it was like being led into this most incredible secret garden um, of so many beautiful experiences, connections with incredible women. And Betsy, you were one of those women who had followed the call um, from Sonia to come to France, to share your magic. Uh, and I just remember when Sonia was getting replies from the people that had agreed to come and talk, she was just like, this is something so much bigger than I can ever imagine. People are traveling far to come and be part of this. And it was incredible and magical in so many ways. And I remember when we met, um, and at that point I hadn't read your book and I'm glad that I hadn't, because I think if I had, I would have been a bit, um, you know, like in awe because you wrote, wrote the most incredible book, Autobiography of an Orgasm. And after we had met and spent some time together, I then went back and read the book and my um, uh, understanding of your story and where you are was expanded. And yeah, I was just so pleased that our paths had crossed because I think I felt certainly at that point in my own journey, that you were like a beacon of truth and also taking a path that wasn't necessarily always easy, but encouraging other women, just take the step, tell your story. You need to tell your story. And that, I don't think I'd ever been told that before. Mm -hmm. Well, it was such a, a gift that we all gathered there. And once again, even at one point, you know, Sonia, before it, uh, uh, it happened, she called and said, listen, not as many people have signed up and you know, you're probably not going to get paid or not very much. And I was traveling from the US. It was, you know, a lot of money. Usually when I travel to speak, it's, you know, yeah. getting some sort of reimbursement. And I just go, okay, like it didn't make sense. And so for all of us, these things that don't make sense in our life, but I was like, I, I must be there. Yeah. And I really incredible the, for me, uh, it was less about me being there to, um, share my story and more about hearing everybody else's story because I was so impacted by just the gathering. It was, and it's interesting because it, it's not too far from uh, where Mary Magdalene was believed to have spent um, most of her life, the last years of her life. And um, I don't know, who knows, maybe uh, she had planted some seeds for all of us to regather again, just to remember. 
And it's interesting, I'm a writer and I'll talk about that book, but the, when, um, as a writer and storyteller, I'm constantly writing things down. So, uh, when, you know, I get of like, uh, if someone says something, I'll just write it down because I want to come back to it. And I actually have something on my phone from you that you said three years ago, and we were uh, gathered in a room sharing stories. And I, I have your permission to share this, I hope, hmm. but it it was, it was so interesting because you spoke for all of us. So, you know, we pull cards to set sacred space and the card was about, tell about the um, missing uh, part of your life. What is missing? And a lot of people were saying, oh, success with my work or my, uh, my you know, a boyfriend or husband or family. And, and when it got to you, you said, the missing piece of my life is me. And that is so true for all of us. It is so true for all of us. But you really uh, took that room and, and that was all of our shared, you know, experience. Mm -hmm. So that book you um, spoke about, Autobiography of an Orgasm, I released when I turned, uh, I was 51 at the time. And, um, and it's funny because I remember... I still look at it sometime and go, I cannot believe I wrote this stuff because <laughs> it was, you know, telling the truth about my sensual path. And, um, and that was one thing I was in writing groups all the time. And, and I'd write a story about, you know, my life between traveling to Zimbabwe and Indiana. And I'm thinking that's interesting. And the feedback I'd get was, no, this, you know, there's one line in your story about a sensual encounter and that's what it should be about. And I'm like, there's no way I can tell the truth about that. And that was another one of those zing moments, write it down. Because yeah. that was what, all of a sudden my book came through in two months when I really got what the book was about. And that story was about my, um, you know, I was 45 at the time. Uh, I started looking at my life of, of uh, I was divorced. I had four children. Um, I had this life that looked good, but didn't feel good. And I had, uh, had you know, uh, you know, men in my life from husbands to boyfriends who were really wonderful men. And um, so I couldn't keep blaming my failed relationships on them. So I, I was like, well, I'm the common, you know, it can't possibly be me. <laughs> <laughs> but what I started to look was, um, was I went to a, a, a dance class once uh, called Koya, Q-O-Y-A. And the um, Rochelle Sheik who uh, created it said, um, follow the movement in your body that feels good. And I was like, I have never heard that before. And I don't even know how it feels good to move in my body because I had moved in this very, you know, how society wanted me to move as a mother and wife or, uh, uh, you know, I never had, I constantly, I think, tuned in, especially with my family. We would always talk about, my mother would talk about what, you know, her back was hurting or her leg was hurting. And my grandmother always complained about what was hurting on her body. So I was raised to focus on, you know, what wasn't working versus what feels good. Mm -hmm. And that class really led me down to, wow, when was the last time I felt good in my body? When was the last time I felt safe in my body? And it took me back, you know, to 35, uh, you know, to 27 before I had my first kid, to 20. I mean, I kept going back, going back. And I realized it was the age of six 
and I'd completely forgotten about this, you know, 40 years later, remembered this um, encounter of being molested by a teenage neighbor who I, I believe now did not mean to hurt me. Mm. But um, that was the last time I felt good in my body. And my body, um, we can hold these traumas for years. And I had patterns of uh, repeated patterns of experiences of abuse against my body until I finally, 40 years later, literally woke up and said, either I have to deal with this or, um, you know, continue living this life in this kind of frozen body. And that's what my book um, was less is, was not about what happened to me. So it's not a story about trauma. It was about my reclamation of reclaiming, um, reclaiming my body, that missing piece of me, which was feeling good in my body. And, um, and including, you know, saying, uh, I've had, I've been married I, and divorced and had four children and I've never had an orgasm. Not many women in their forties are going to say that. Um, but saying it from this very, I had to have so much compassion for myself at that point. And once again, I don't think I could have released that book when I was 49 and a half, cause I didn't have the ovaries to do it, but 50 something happens and you just go, okay, I'm just going to let that go and see how I can, what life looks like when I'm really aligned with who I am and not ashamed of myself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> one of the things that you did at the workshop, actually, uh, sorry, one of the things you did at the holistic garden party was you did a workshop and it was, I, I think it was about, I don't know if you called it my orgasm is, but I know that that was certainly one of the really powerful, um, uh, what do you call it, exchanges that we had. We partnered up with somebody and I was partnered up with a lady who must have been in her mid-60s. She was the mother of one of the women that had come to the Holistic Garden Party who was probably a friend of, um, of, of Abby's. So she was probably in her 30s, 40s and the mum was just amazing. She didn't speak a lot of English, but she spoke enough. And I remember looking around when you said, okay, so partner up with the person next to you. And I had a moment of... <gasps> This is this woman's older than me. How am I going to relate? How she, how comfortable is she going to feel? And actually, newsflash: How do you think you're going to feel? And we had the most incredible encounter uh, where we both spoke. And you know, at the beginning, we were sort of explaining it. And I, these words were coming through to me that were really new and a real surprise because, like you say, I'd never really thought about it. And we went through this beautiful um, meditation with you where we were really focusing on moving the energy into our womb, into our hips, into our pelvis, into our creative center. And then at the end, we did this beautiful, we, we repeated it and said, my orgasm is, and it was one of the most beautiful experiences. It makes me feel tearful thinking about it because this beautiful woman looked at me like the, through the eyes of like a wise woman. And it was like a a little moment of, are you ready to step into your power? And mm -hmm. yes, and it's kicked yeah. off a great deal. Oh, uh, that makes me so happy. I, well, I, what I found with my research, you know, so I was going, um, taking lots of classes and, um, and it was funny because I was living in, in Indiana, but I would take a class in Austin, Texas when I'd go to visit my daughter in college or New York city when I went to visit my son, like this was undercover, yeah. you know, I would never take a class in Indiana because I'd run into people I'd know. So I would just go to places, you know, where people, you know, I was ashamed of this part of me, but I was in these classes where I would, um, literally have to get naked yeah. and, uh, both, uh, I you know, love that you did it. <laughs> metaphorically, 
Yeah, and um, and but there came um, a point that I realized um, with all of this research, it was like, wow, it's not that I've been inorgasmic. It's been, I was given the wrong information all these years. And once again, we don't have these conversations with our moms. It's not our mom's fault or the you know, it's generations of women. We, um, I mean, the original gaslighting start, started with uh, Mary Magdalene when, um, and I'm not using this, I'm using this as a metaphor, not as a religious belief. But, you know, when um, Jesus, uh, you know, came back to life, it was, you know, at the feet of Mary Magdalene. And, um, and then, of course, the other apostles said, you know, that yeah, can't possibly be true. You're a liar, Mary Magdalene. Not only you're a liar, but you're a slut and a whore. So the original gaslighting started with Mary Magdalene. So, you know, the, so we look around all the ways that if women speak up, we're told we're a liar, we're um, a whore, we're a slut, things around our bodies too. So our bodies hold all that in. So in these, as you were describing that exchange, in this moment of telling our truth, uh, even if a woman thinks that she's never, in my case, had never had an orgasm, I had experience, um, you know, I had, when I allowed myself to experience feeling good in my body, that's part of an orgasm. An orgasm is not what we've been sold um, at this wild moment of releasing that happens two seconds. Uh, the other day in my writing circle, we started with the meditation and I had them just caress their face and then go back over and trace any area that felt good. And everybody was, you know, smiling and moaning and, um, and at the end, it moved into a, um, a writing prompt. But I said, it, um, you know, you've just experienced an orgasm. And one woman who was in her 80s just said, that was the first one of my life. And But once again, it's, it's this notion of, um, you know, that we need to feel safe and feel good in our bodies. And we've been told, uh, you know, uh, what... Uh, orgasm is as different than what it actually is. So these moments of exchanging truth with another, another woman in the sacred space, mm. and it's always amazing with these spaces because you don't end up um, afterwards, it might be a four minute exchange, and afterwards you don't end up going to lunch and saying, oh, you can't believe what this woman said, or, you know, it stays right there. We're talking about it in as a sacred way um, right here, but we're not, we're holding another woman's tr truth. And for many times, it's the first time she's ever said those words out loud. Mm -hmm. And that happens all the time in my writing circles. Women, um, so many times will say, I've never shared this with anyone, or I forgot about this. Mm -hmm. And then she'll speak something that has been buried in her body, um, which she's been told is inorgasmic, and it isn't. And those words start to flow, and, and that seems to unlock uh, other things in her body that are going to start allowing her to just take an inhale and a deep exhale and feel good in her body again. Mm. I remember you saying that your mission was to, to explore um, pleasure in your body and to, to um, I think you, one of the things you said was is that you almost didn't need after that period of time to be jumping into a relationship to find that in somebody else because you were able to find that in yourself. And that was like, oh, what a revelation. Okay, so I'll share something right now that I've never shared publicly. Um, after that book came out, um, so I was 51, I um, 
started getting so many letters from women saying, uh, you know, me too. I was, you know, assaulted in college and I've never told anybody about it or an uncle abused me or a dad abused me. I've never told anybody about it. Or I did tell my mom and she didn't believe me. And I've never had, you know, I've had a good life, but I've never um, had an orgasm. I don't feel good in my body, but life is still good. I mean, they'd say, I'm okay. And they'd also say, I'm glad, you know, you're, I'm glad that you've experienced, you know, feeling good in your body, but it's too late for me. Or I, it's too late for me because I don't, I can't travel to do the courses. I don't have a partner. I'm too old. And I thought, you know, I was 51 at the time. I was like, I don't want that to be a reason for a woman to dismiss, you know, feeling good in her body, to think that that's not important. Mm -hmm. And so I took a year off. I obviously, it had healed my body at that point. I felt very good in my body. And, but I took a year off from, I didn't need to do any more courses, um, no toys. Um, there's nothing wrong with toys, but no toys. Uh, our fingers have... Uh, are filled with um, uh, nerve endings. And so, you know, it was just skin to skin and also no partner. So I took a year off from being in any relationship, no toys, no books, just listening to my body every day. And my, you know, for what feels good, you know, right now for a whole year, not being in an intimate relationship. That was the most sensual year of my life. So what I'm about to share with you is I've chosen, it's been now been six years since I have not been in a partnership with, uh, not been intimate with a partner. And it's still the most sensual time in my life. I feel so embodied and, uh, and I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And, um, and maybe I'll have a relationship again someday. I have a feeling I will, but I'm really enjoying this time of reclamation for my body. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, in one of my courses, we were told that uh, the imprint of a man's not just semen, but just the imprint of his energy can stay in our body for, um, you know, uh, much longer after we are intimate with him. So I feel like I've really like uh, <laughs> reclaimed my body in every way and also without any sacrifice. It just has been, it's been my path. I'm not saying that every, you know, every woman's path is different and same with every men's path, but it's okay just to, just because you're not in a relationship doesn't mean that you shouldn't be in a central relationship with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to ask you actually, and I know that we talked about this before, about the kickback of, of being um, honest and speaking your truth and that the temptation to edit is real. And, and how you found that and what you would say to other women who are wanting to maybe write that book, tell that story, move that truth through her body and move on. Yeah. Well, it's, um, I was concerned about uh, just in general, like how uh, my family and closest friends, that was hardest, one of my closest friends from college said, I don't even feel like I know you. She said, I was so sad reading your book because you didn't come to me. And I had um, people in my family say the same thing, you know, why didn't you come to me, you know, years earlier? And then I had uh, uh, men that wrote to me saying, you used to be beautiful, um, you're crazy. Um, you know, once again, gaslighting, gaslighting. Uh, I had um, one partner, uh, I didn't, I, I wrote about some of the men in the book just uh, to set where I was in the relationship. I wasn't, I'm not trying to make any of the men look bad, but I, I, I mean, if I made anybody look bad, it was me. But, you know, I did um, talk to a few of um, 
some of the men from my past saying, I've written this book. Um, I've never shared this with anyone before. And when I was with you, um, you know, it was a beautiful relationship, but uh, I had never healed this, you know, wound and of, of not feeling safe in my body from unexpressed trauma from years earlier. And there's nothing you did wrong, but I never had an orgasm with you. And for men, that's all they can hear. They can't hear, I've healed my body, you know, um, not one of them said, I'm so, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so glad your body healed. Uh, one um, gave me permission to use his name in the book. Um, one threatened to sue me. So once again, it's like in between. <laughs> yeah, but I, you just have to be, but this is where those conversations have to start. We have to still um, be courageous enough to show up for those tough conversations because we're either going to be um, uh, a, uh, abandoning the other person um, or we're going to be abandoning ourselves, depending on what we you know what we share so I had been betraying myself over and over again because I only wanted to say what was going to make the other person feel comfortable what happens if we can just tell the truth and what happens as a listener if we can listen to the truth without even having to react just deeply listening just deeply listening to, to um, to that person's experience. And so for anybody uh, that is worried about speaking up, um, you don't have to write a book and tell the whole world about it. Maybe just tell one person, and maybe just write it down and do you know a ritual around burning it. I had, once again, as I said, I had uh, women from all over, every time I would speak, they would pass me a note and said, you know, I was raped too. I never told anyone. I mean, these things lodge in our bodies and I was unwilling, my body had already taken so much pain and abuse and I was unwilling to keep anything else in my body. Um, uh, there's also, you know, uh, you know, I, when I wrote the book, you know, that felt liberating, but I noticed when I started, you know, reading the stories out loud, if I was doing a reading, I would start crying or my throat would um, tighten up. And I was like, wow, actually the scariest thing wasn't writing the book. It was speaking it out loud. So for me, once again, because I was over 50 and a little more courageous, um, <laughs> I was like, well, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn the book into a solo show. So I turned the book into a, a show where I got up on stage for an hour and told about, you know, you know, the truth about my sensual path. And, uh, <laughs> you know, most people responded very positively to it. And, uh, but, you know, it was, uh, but I'm still like, you know, we need to, up until now, 80% of the stories in the world have been, you know, it's men telling their stories, men telling their stories. And like women, they're probably not telling the full truth of their stories. 80% um, of the books published until a few years ago were all by men. So I'm all about um, women sharing their stories and, and publishing. And this is now, just like we've seen with other forms of entertainment that have um, evolved with the... Uh, online media, um, you know, self-publishing or independent publishing is a, such a good choice. Um, mm -hmm. Traditional publishing is also a good choice. And when people work with me privately or in workshops, I, you know, break it down of like, you know, which one do you want to do? And I'll help steer you the right direction. Okay. But now more than ever, we need women's stories out in the world. For me, uh, 
a key thing was uh, from the age of six to the age of 46, I constantly had sore throats and was very sick at least once a month with some, some throat related thing. Once I released my book, I have never been sick since. Mm. That's 10 years. I travel internationally all the time. So tell, it, tell the truth um, just to support your immune system. Because yes. it was almost like my body was so tight from holding all these secrets. It was trying to fight off, you know, always on attack. And now, um, you know, tell the truth just to support your immune system. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? What it does, holding on to it all that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, so I, especially gathering in circles of women, um, I think is important, and just tell, you know, one person, um, but you never know how your story is going to plant the seeds for another story. I've had women come to my um, writing retreats that I do every year in Bali or Zimbabwe or Cape Town or London, and uh, one woman in particular, she came to write, her book was going to be on financial happiness. And I said, I don't do, you know, self-help type, you know, rah, 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 step one, two, three books. I do personal history memoir. And she said, nope, I'm going to write with you. And she came on the retreat and ended up um, writing the most beautiful book about her own path to healing. Um, and it's funny, it did, I edited the book, it, it ended up including a little bit about financial happiness. She got that in there. But she told the story that she never told before. And um, she uh, is the leader of the largest Hispanic movement in, for women entrepreneurs in um, Colombia. Her name is Tatiana Arias. And it has called, I mean, it's like this mass healing that's been going on. So you just never know how your story, sharing your story once can um, open up healing for another woman or open up an idea for another woman to go, oh, wait, I think I'm going to, she did that. So maybe even though I'm divorced and, you know, um, I'm going to, uh, you know, start, uh, you know, follow whatever that place that illuminates you and um, lights you up. Yeah. I love that you say that, you know, that it doesn't have to be the book, because I think that when you set out with this idea that you've got to complete a book and then you've got to go through that process, sometimes the story is just writing it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's, I felt like I got right with myself by writing my book. Um, and it's interesting because the title of the book is Chasing Temples. And the book was about, um, the, my next book is Chasing Temples, um, which is coming out in 2020. And that book is about um, chasing all these lost parts of myself that I had lost in um, uh, motherhood or in my childhood or in spiritual communities or in trying to be a good Christian. And, um, and what I realized as I was writing that book was my authentic, you know, Betsy was chasing me the whole time. The whole time I was chasing this other life, like this other, you know, the real me was chasing me too. And it took me just having to stop and slow down and listen to those unexpressed stories of my heart uh, to get in alignment with who I am. And for people who say, well, you know, why, why aren't my dreams coming true? I would say for me, once I slow down enough to let my dreams catch up with me um, rather than this dream that I was chasing, which wasn't, you know, my true dream. So um, it's, it's courageous work to do. And as women, we are the ones, um, uh, you know, 
setting the precedent for uh, our daughters, our sons, our, our grandchildren, because we didn't have, most of us didn't have mothers and grandmothers that, you know, were doing, and great grandmothers that were doing this. So it's, um, there's no, uh, you know, there's no right path. There's no three steps. Um, listen, the steps are within you. Yes. So that's an interesting thing that you touch on there, being a mother of three boys as well as a daughter. So I'm also a mother of two teenage boys. And it's interesting. I feel this sort of, um, I feel sometimes a little guilty that my voice, that the work that I do and the things that I'm interested in, and I guess reflecting my experience as a woman growing up, but that they are such an important part of the conversation. And I wonder how your boys have um, responded and what they're learning and what the relationship is with them with regards to you speaking your truth and living a life with um, less veils and less um, barriers to the truth. Yeah, thanks for asking. That's a good question. When the book came out, they were ages 19 to 25. Two of them are stand-up comedians. Um, so just the title of the book alone, um, Autobiography of an Orgasm, uh, you know, it did get used in their acts a bit, but they also, you know, it's a provocative, funny title, and you also don't want to be the one whose mom writes that book, you know, it's, and at the same time, their friends are all, you know, always sending me messages on Instagram and, um, you know, saying thank you for the book, or, um, so we did have to have those tough I had, you know, tough conversations with all of them because they knew I was writing a book. They didn't know what it was about until it came out. And then I had to have, you know, those conversations and, and um, what was it, uh, what was my experience of living in my body for 45 years uh, of not feeling safe, not feeling good in my body and also how it relates to them. And every single one of my boys, you know, had already, uh, had shared um, that they understood deeply the experience of even uh, meeting women, you know, in their twenties that already were disconnected from their bodies. And so I, you know, I'm glad that we were able to have these conversations and I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we need to have these conversations with our boys and our girls. Isn't that interesting? Because I hadn't even really thought about it in that context. I was only thinking about it from my own position, but of course it's going to affect how they interact and their understanding and their sensitivity around people that they choose to be in partnership with. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and how, uh, my biggest thing with them is how, uh, you can, show, you know, listen to those harder conversations and ask those harder questions and listen from a place of love. And especially if somebody, I mean, I was, I would, uh, would say as a 20 year old, I was pretty broken. I had, once again, I was, um, getting ready to have a career as a, you know, start a career as a TV news reporter and had this kind of life that looked good, but inside I was pretty broken, but was dating and, um, intimate with men and probably had a central life that, uh, looked normal, um, but was far from normal because I had, you know, didn't feel safe in my body, but I couldn't express that. So how can we be, um, uh, have another model of, um, especially in these days of our kids, you know, learning intimacy from porn. And once again, porn is not bad, but when that is your only uh, guideline, 
and that were, you know, that, you know, women can, you know, the harder you do it, the better orgasm it's going to be. And that's um, absolutely not true. And mm -hmm. also if a woman is living, um, is in a body that has uh, um, unexpressed, um, you know, has been hurt in some way, um, you know, she won't say, oh, you know, she'll, you know, she'll, she, I know we don't want to go into that, but she, she won't express um, that this isn't good or bad. And she's there to please the man. And my whole point of the book was my big moment and why I'm completely fine right now being in interrelationship with myself is what feels good to you. And to do that, we have to slow way down. Which can be terrifying for a lot of people. And I think very interesting that we're in a time at the moment where we are doing exactly that. All of the rat runs have been cut off. There's like yeah. a big mirror that's just been placed right in front of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I especially love, you know, women and men in their 40s, 50s, 60s, um, both couples and singles coming to me, 70s, 80s, coming to me and saying, you know, I didn't think I needed your book or uh, I didn't, you know, I was curious about your talk and thank you. I, I got something out of it and I'm going to have a conversation with my wife. My solo show, uh, you know, I'll be able to track the audience and if there are couples there, especially older couples, man, they are so uncomfortable. And it's interesting because I can kind of see, you know, the woman is um, like nodding her head. The man is looking concerned. But by the end, it's once again, as storytellers, how can we tell these stories that allow us to lean in um, versus uh, go, oh, you know, that's not for me. So you have to be as a storyteller, you have to, um, you want to tell the truth, but you also want to tell it in a way that um, allows us to connect to you versus, um, well, that didn't happen to me and I don't want a part of that. And, you know, so as a storyteller, you have some responsibility if you want to make a difference. Yeah. And also interesting, I think, particularly if you're in a long-term relationship about how, um, you know, it's, it's a real, I think that a lot of women maybe are nervous about doing that because they're going to be having to cope with somebody else's feelings around it. And that shouldn't stop us, like you say, to, to it, for it to be done in a way that is true to you and yeah. is, in and done with care and love mm -hmm. two conversations i had with men from my past after all this were was they said you know what something like that happened to me too um yeah. a, you know a, a teenage babysitter a family member and you know as a, a teenage boy you think that's you know maybe cool at the time but it isn't and it does impact um you know, their, their sensual relationships and choices since then. So it's just being able to show up without judgment for these conversations. And uh, um, yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, intimacy, we shouldn't be scared of it. And, but intimacy is like the most vulnerable parts of ourself. And if you can go there, it's that place of connection uh, where it can really be magical and, and I'll report back when I'm in a relationship with a, a man again or intimate with a man again or a partner again. Um, you know, nope. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I, guess, I feel like I really needed this time for not just, you know, my body was healed, but really for my body just to realign with myself. But also it's been a creative time for me the last six years. I published one, two, three, four, five six, uh, this will be my seventh book in um, six years. I've um, worked um, 
helped four, five other authors launch their books. So it's been a very creative time period. And, and I'm not saying that I don't, um, I couldn't have done it without a partner in my life as well. But the key for me is once again, our um, feeling good in our body and our uh, second chakra is the creativity, uh, sensuality place. So I'm not surprised that I'm in such a creative mode because I'm keeping myself like very juicy um, just through my own attention to my body. And that doesn't mean it has to be hours of, of, you know, um, of, you know, pleasuring myself. It's, um, it's just that I've retrained my body from being in a place of trauma to retrain my body to being in this place of like bliss. And yeah, so and we can use that as our baseline. We can all be there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what a gorgeous place to be, um, you know, reminded of and kind of being guided back to. Mm -hmm. so, so I'd like to, you to share with people that are listening um, a little more about the retreats you do, about the writing prompts, about the upcoming um, summer online course that you've got coming and then potentially something exciting coming up in September if the world is back to relative normality. Yeah, thank you. So every year I um, do retreats in um, Bali in the, the fall or in North America fall, um, usually September, October. And once again, there, um, I will be going to Bali this year, I know. Whether there's a retreat, I don't know. Um, we'll just see what travel is like then. And then every year I do a retreat in Zimbabwe and sometimes on to Cape Town. So I, I go to places where I can create really unique settings where, um, uh, where as a writer, we can, um, when I tell people, you don't have to go to Bali or to France or to uh, Cape Town to write your book, but um, just like me, I've come to for four days um, to a different location than my home right now to give myself the devotion to this writing practice. Uh, so one thing I find in these writing circles is you start hearing pieces of your story in another woman's story or something you forgot about yourself in another woman's story. So I keep the writing retreats very small and intimate and it can get really uncomfortable, um, which is good because it pushes um, writers beyond. They show up with one story and they leave with a much bigger story. Yeah, so you, you arrive with a, with a finances book and yeah. then an intimate and suddenly, yeah, suddenly you're writing about the most intimate details of your life uh yeah um, but she published in both spanish and english and the book love heals is uh is uh i feel like it's going to be um uh especially with spanish like the um the alchemist it's a really beautiful book it's really incredible so i'm also the summer since we are in this um in the midst of our quarantine whenever you're listening to this it's you know um 2020 and we're in the midst of you know uh two to three months in quarantine and uh, so this summer i'm going to do an online summer camp so people can join for one to eight weeks and um so we'll be doing online um writing prompts and working together and with the goal of if you are just starting thinking you want to write uh for your own healing great if you're working on a book if you don't know how to tell a story if you um, are towards the end of your book and need support, 
uh, I just want to do that for, because I love gathering and hearing people's stories. And I also want to say, you know, especially women are so, especially at the beginning of the year, we're like, I'm detoxing for the month of January and in April, I'm spring cleaning my house. And, um, but you're not really doing any spring cleaning for your, uh, your soul. And um, with writing, it's, um, it's a way that the soul expresses itself. So for me, writing, even the really bad stories that aren't going to go anywhere, it's still detoxing those stories. So then you can get to the, the really good ones. And this is why with these, um, where the summer writing camp can be really beneficial is when we write, um, I, and I find this even with myself when I was writing the first book, so many of the stories that first came out, I was like, this, these are terrible. My writing is terrible. And also these are such sad stories that nobody's going to want to read them. But what I realized, like my soul was so backed up that I had to get all those out first. And then the really beautiful story of my book that, you know, came, came out of that. And one of the proudest things about that first book, Autobiography of an Orgasm, was even though it was about a, a tough subject, the early reviews, the UK Sunday Times, um, they compared it to the anti Fifty Shades of Grey. And, uh, and you know, but I love that it brought up, and people wrote that, the reviewers wrote that it was a surprisingly funny book. And at first I was horrified because I was like, oh my gosh, this is about my sensual life and people are calling it funny. But then I was like, you know, I did my job as a writer and I wasn't trying to be funny, but I was just writing the truth about my life. And when we can really write from that place of putting ourselves back in those scenes, um, you know, it can be awkward and, uh, and funny and surprising and curious. And uh, so... Uh, I felt really good as a writer, but I, I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't been in writing circles with other women and, and seen what parts of their story pulled me in. And just like we started at the beginning with talking about what was the missing part of me. And I got so much of, I remember so much of myself in those writing circles. Yes. It just made me think, I think I was listening to Chris Martin or a musician who said, you have to write a lot of really crap songs until you get to the good ones. And it's like, how many people just start to write poetry or start to write stories and think, oh, that's it and give up. But like, yeah. you said, you've got to go through the backed up stuff to get to the gold. Yeah. So I'll, um, I'll leave you with one thing that we do in my writing circles with every writing circle. And this is something I learned from a woman who was in one of my writing circles who she said, if you want to dismiss your writing, you know, before you read out loud in a group and you want to start saying, oh, well, this isn't very good or I, my grammar's not good or, you know, I don't know whether you just have to start by saying, get a load of this and then you start reading. So <laughs> in my writing circles, if you're uncomfortable reading, you just say, get a load of this. Yeah. And um, yeah, so for any of us, um, anytime we're gonna speak, even now, I, if I have to be on stage, uh, you know, I'll quietly whisper to myself, get a load of this, and then start speaking. Oh, I love that, I love that. Okay, so finishing off on um, two questions. First one, if you could have a billboard, um, what would it say and why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, right now, um, because I'm looking at nature, um, mine would say, uh, get back to nature, mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, especially with this, um, 
quarantine, we've seen um, people have been commenting on, um, oh, you know, so many more birds are around or animals are coming down from the mountain. I live in Northern California and there was a big brown bear about a mile from where I lived a couple weeks ago. And in Cape Town, there was uh, um, penguins in Cape Town, downtown Cape. So the animals are returning. So um, with, um, you know, getting back to nature, um, I would ask, you know, yourself, uh, what part of yourself is returning right now during this quarantine? What part of yourself is returning? So that would be my billboard. Mm, thank you. And finally, what does it mean to you to live an illuminated life? Well, for me, it's to focus on the things that illuminate me, not um, what I think is going to illuminate my mother or a, uh, a man that I want to light up. Um, so it's What's going to illuminate me? And it, it, to me, that's so much more interesting because if we're all living our own illumination um, versus everybody trying to be the same, that would just be like all, you know, white lights. And instead, we're all just lighting up in different ways. So mm. it's, um, yeah, it's just doing the things that illuminate me. And it's going to change. I'm, I'm a go-go now and uh, at a different stage of life than I was 20 years ago. And so different things are going to illuminate me. Like I said, I, um, right now, um, what illuminates me is um, spending time with my grandchildren because I love watching them play and learn. I, uh, writing illuminates me. Being in circles of um, writers and creative illuminates me. And um, being in nature illuminates me. Mm. Betsy, thank you so much. It's been such a joy. And I'm thank really excited for, um, for the next book. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. If you'd like to get in contact with Betsy, you can find her on Facebook or Instagram and her website, BetsyBMurphy.com. On the website, you'll find details of all of her books and you can listen to excerpts of her latest book, Chasing Temples, in her solo show, streamed live on Zoom last night from the Marsh Theatre in San Francisco. All the details are in the show notes and you can also find out details of her upcoming writing retreats. If you'd like to know more about Koya or Breathwork, you can find me at ellieloves.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly love bomb and find out about upcoming classes, listen to my playlists and get bonus material from my guests. Big love. <laughs>